Hello and welcome to I Spit on Your Grid, our creepy children episode. It's me, Mercer, as always, last week's winner, just throwing that back in there, or last, last episode winner of a, a short one, you know, the inside number nine one that I won. Uh, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Faye. Hello. She's not very happy still, still struggling with losing. And Christopher. Hello. Mercer's got plenty of milk going on, Ryan. Sorry, you're milking. I was getting it confused, milking. That was, I was so confused then as well. I don't think that really landed very well, Faye. No, Mercer's got plenty of milk. Got milk. I am Virail. Um, <laughs> how are we? Weirded out after hearing you say virile. Sounds weird. It's, like, it's a real word. I understand that. <laughs> we, we understand how words work. It just sounds odd, that's all. Uh, fine, thank you very much. I today finished Breaking Bad again for probably the fourth time. I think it is in total. Certainly feels like that. I know. I love it. I just love it. And I'm glad some people got what was coming to them. But yeah, that's what I've been doing. Mercer didn't even ask. You just asked how you were doing. Oh, <laughs> that's fine, you know. That's fine. You just pre-programmed now to tell everyone what you've been watching for I the am. entire week. I am. I'm sure you can ask how I am, Mercer. I am very well. Also, I have not been watching Breaking Bad because they has the video facing the desk, so I can't watch anything. I just sit there and listen to the audio for various TV shows. I ask you if it's okay, and you say yes. If it's not okay, you have to bring these things up, not on a podcast. No, we'll let the... This is like the Am I the Asshole on Twitter, where you're going to let the listeners decide whether it's okay to watch five seasons of a TV show. When their partner says it's okay. Honestly, guys, for the last few weeks that we've done this, I felt like it is a, a marriage guidance counselling session or something. It's like, do we need therapy? Are we good? You're being the worst therapist ever, Mercer, as well. <laughs> we were watching a film last night together that hasn't maybe been released yet. So we shouldn't have been watching it, but we managed to get a copy or a screener. And um, I, can't, I can't say what it is, but it was great. Is it? Um, no. No, no, I would not. I would not do that to myself. No, that has to be seen in the cinema multiple times on my own. <laughs> if anyone wants to know what it is, you can just look on our letterbox. Yeah, we logged it on letterbox. Uh, but it was fantastic. It was really, really good. And I wouldn't be surprised to see it playing for Outfest, I think. Yeah. Which is great, because it means I can go and see whatever else it's up against. But enough of us being, if you know, you know, people. Um, what have you been up to, Mercer? Well, as somebody who doesn't know people, um, I've not watched anything new. Um, in fact, the only thing I've done is... Because of the hype that I've heard of Stranger Things Season 4, a series I've not watched any of yet, I started watching Stranger Things. Oh. Um, just finished Season 1 yesterday, started Season 2 yesterday. How do I feel about it? Not really sure, oh. to be honest. Um, a bit, I'm a bit, like, 
think it's good, but I'm not sure. I I think season one's season one's really good. Mm-hmm. Season two is a bit of a down is a bit of a downturn. Yeah. Season three starts slow, but picks up a real head of steam by the end. The like last few episodes of Super and, and season, season four, four, it just hits the ground running and just smashes out of the park from the get go. Season four so far, there are another three, three episodes, two, two episodes, two episodes to come, uh, but the long ones into season four as people will know if they've uh, watched it it's like an hour and 20 a time yeah mm. but i mean I'll, i'm gonna hold off because i want to get to season four so i'm just gonna keep watching and see how i feel um yeah see how it goes i also watched um for the first time mike flanagan's oculus oh, oh good, good yeah mm. no i like it I didn't like it. I didn't like Karen Gillan's character at all. She just wound me up completely. I was like, mm, you're so aggressive. I just, I just don't like you. And I'm glad that you get a fucking axe or whatever it is in your head because you deserve it. For anybody who hasn't watched Oculus, that's what happens. Oh my God. I'm doing a fair, everyone. I'm doing a fair. Be fair, people know by now that if you haven't seen every film ever, then just don't listen to us because yeah. we will likely spoil something. Sorry about that. But yeah, so I guess that's the viewing world. Let's um, let's find out. So creepy kids, this episode. Uh, so Chris, what did people say when you put it out there? They said Mercer various things. Oh, no, we had a few. We had a few people come back. We had a few people come back to us with uh, replies on their favourite creepy kids films. Course Bride at Noel and Scott Kelly says, Ooh, there are a fair few. She's not wrong. The kids from The Children and the Innocents, 961. Those damn twins from The Shining. And finally, my favourite, Santi, the child ghost from The Devil's Backbone. Good, all good picks. And then Laura, 2022. I'm going to get try this again with Laura's surname because I can never get her surname right. Benyon? Bainon, Bainon. Sorry, Laura, if I got your surname wrong again, because I know I asked you before how we pronounce it, and you told us. And but I'm Chris drinks, Laura. I'm just, so. Yeah, I've got I've got a memory like a sieve. But anyway, she said the children of Ravens back for me. There you go. And then Dan Popomatic came with a picture of the twins from The Shining. Standard, because. Let's face it, creepy as. Yeah. I also said, oh, and that lad with the sack over his head from the orphanage. Also a good pick. The Shining came back a few times, but we have done The Shining before. So we couldn't really go ahead and do it again because, number one, that would be boring. But again, number two, easier on editing because we're just slicing what we said before. We've talked about doing this a few times. We should maybe... Execute at this point. Just know so anyone <laughs> anyone notices how we go from talking about Christmas to going about us on the holidays and just <laughs> just ignore all that. A wizard said just, it. Just not my so see if anyone actually listens to us, anyone actually twigs what's going on. But yeah, there's loads of there are some creepy kids films as you say, like the shining. There's some that couldn't make the cut because as you say, we have covered them already mm. because we have nearly done every subgenre of horror ever invented. Some more to come though, don't worry. We're there still more to 
come. Absolutely. But that was everyone's feedback, though, so thank you very much for everyone who did get in touch, unless they're their favourite creepy kids. No one said Jedwood. <sighs> Technically not kids, are they? They're my favourite creepy children, uh, but they've just not made a film. Their life is a big maybe, film. Maybe, maybe Jedward do need to make a film. With Tara Reid. <gasps> yes, all about how they got stuck together in lockdown. Yeah. And they no. could you know, they could play they could play like uh, siblings, couldn't they? I mean, yeah. It's a stretch. <laughs> yeah, no, but then we could get Tara Reid doing an Irish accent and um Tara Reid wandering around and going, oh, oh be Jesus. <laughs> Again, another fucking stellar movie idea from us. Um it's amazing. We are full of Excellent, excellent ideas. Don't worry about it. Some monkey poor will tell us how they've already had the idea first before we uh, before we came up with it. If you try to submit it. I'll leave monkey poor alone. What? What have I missed? There is a clause in um, when you send a film to Monkey Poor Productions. There is a clause that if they have come up with the idea before you, then they can go ahead and use what you've sent, but claim. Yeah, they, they had an open competition for people send scripts in, which essentially said, you can, we can, we might use your script, but bear in mind, the ideas you've sent, we might have already come up with, we don't need to prove it, we'll just, so if we use them, it's not your idea, we already came up with it first. Oh, wow. Dr. Sus, wow. right? Well, well, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. So, I'm just going to swiftly move away from it and say... We're here for a reason today, people. And that reason, as we've said, is to discuss our favourite creepy child in horror. And I think we need to kick this off. I need to kick this off. You need to kick this off. Because mine came first. I have gone with the OG creepy kid. Like, I don't know if The Exorcist came before this. If, if it did, ignore it. This is for my introduction purposes. Um, I have gone with 1976's The Omen. I was going to freak you out for a moment and start talking about Julia Stiles and pretend I'd gone for the remake just to see you both freak out, but I didn't I didn't go for the remake. Your face, Mercy, you didn't watch the remake, right? No, but I'm just thinking, do you remember that day where you were that episode where you picked a film and then we came on and you started talking about a film and I'm like, what film is this? You're like, oh, I changed it. Don't tell you. I'm like, no, no, you didn't. Well, don't worry. No heart attacks today. It is the original version that I've gone for. Um, for anybody who hasn't seen The Omen, which I imagine is very few of you, we see Gregory Peck as a US ambassador. Him and his wife, Lee Remick, uh, Catherine, they are in the hospital having a baby. And they sadly lose the baby. And he is approached by I'm assuming some sort of priesthood people and said we can uh you can take this child the mother is dead of this alternative child this replacement if you will like like you know a curry's washing machine like a bus service like a bus service this replacement uh, have it have this kid and your wife never needs snow and Gregory Peck's all like yeah sure why not I mean are you fucking out of your mind that is a big thing to keep from someone and like when that kid grows up He's, you're not going to notice that that kid looks nothing like either of them. But I digress anyway. 
So everything's going swimmingly. They decide to move to the UK, get the biggest house in England, because like all Londoners at the moment, just coming over here and taking our houses and paying cheaply for them. Yeah, don't, I am still I'm still on the bitter house hunting train. Just let me let me live through it. But then things start to get weird and a bit creepy. Um, Damien starts behaving in an odd way, doesn't like going near churches. Um, animals are basically going for and he has his nanny at his birthday party just throw herself off a roof and they start to suspect that he might be the devil himself and they are right he is the devil himself he has been sent to take over earth basically um, when his parents die he will inherit all their power and I've all the power in the world and, and a big house a big house big fucking house weirdly with one weirdly enough no Ferrero Rocher oh yeah ambassador's there not really spoiled doesn't get spoiled at all no well he's guessed it gets spoiled no no this film is brilliant it's actually but it keeps you sucking in throughout the performances are amazing I think the plot is why are you pulling a face we don't get into face pulling this early. You let me say my piece, then you can pull your face after, okay? Pipe down. <laughs> Merciless generally, genuinely contrite there for a second. The script is amazing. I, I think the effects are really good for the time. I think it's got some shocking moments in it. Like, I mean, the fact that they throw and this nanny throws herself off the building to hang herself for Damien. Um, in front of all these children. And these children just go up in it. Like the, pa the parents don't come and sweep them up. They just let them go up at this hanging nanny in the window. Well, it's, it's full of iconic deaths. Isn't yeah, it? absolutely. David Warner getting his head clean off. The spearing. Yeah, it's brilliant. And also, original final destination in that the clues of how they're going to die are given in the photographs. So, you know, final destination of dinner. A monkey paw. Anyone care to weigh in? Mercer's busting at the seams. The you way can talk it. now, Mercer. It's allowed. Um, I I don't even know what to say. You like you shot me down, and like I'm so um unable to think and function. Um, I think the film is good, and I do think the performances are really good. I enjoy um. I enjoy the fact that I know you said like Damien's the devil and da Damien starts acting weird, but Damien for a very long time doesn't actually do anything himself. It's the outside influences. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's quite interesting. So I, I read, I read how they wanted it to be a bit more ambiguous within is is da Damien a devil child or is it actually just a string of coincidences and a mother kind of having a bit of a, a breakdown. Yeah. And creating that. And I think they did that really quite well to a point until obviously we get Mrs. Baylock, who is the epitome of like um a devil's keeper. A like, side everything she, she's everything she does is like just odd and wrong just, and weird. Just appearing out of the shadows, very rich gone, they're just standing there, they're just sliding along. You rang. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, deciding when he can go to church and just bringing the dogs into the house and be like, yeah. hey, we've got dogs now. 
Also, I love the fact when she first rocks up and she's just like, oh, I'm here for Damien. And they're just like, I'm all right. And then she goes off and then they go, oh, did you hire her? And it's like, you didn't ask her for any papers. You didn't ask her anything. You just went, yeah, cool. But at least they cottoned on that they both hadn't contacted her. Whereas in some of the films, that would have just been ignored completely. Yeah. But then her explanation is, oh, the agency saw what happened in the paper. So they just sent me. And it's like, and they're like, yeah, that's good enough for us. Like, it, it, it was the seventies, Mercer. It's hard to do background checks with no internet. I'm, I imagine if you got a staff as big as someone like an um, ambassador of the UK would have, that these are the kind of things that wouldn't be sorted out by them. Yeah, it's the kind of thing they would have a whole staff. So someone turned up and going, "Oh, I'm your new housekeeper or nanny." You just wouldn't it. actually be that weird. But Damien himself does start displaying weird behaviour. Like, say, when they rock up to the church and yeah. he starts getting hot and, and does not want to go near it. And the fact, you know, he pushes his mother off a balcony. He does push her off a balcony. You are right. That's the only thing he really does that's bad. Bless him. I think he's Scratches misunderstood. Her face. Scratches the face in the car and stuff. Yeah, but not on Do you know that's how he got his job? Scratching her face? No, not scratching her face. Um, director, what's his name? Richard Donner. Richard Donner, when he auditioned the kids, he, he one of the things that he asked them to do was attack him. Ah, and he good. attacked him. And he scratched his face, kicked him in the nuts, and he was like, Yes, hire him, Daisy Ebb, like, that's who I want. <laughs> I'm not um, sure whether, I'm not sure where Richard Donner was coming off of his superhero Clark Kent. Well, yeah, because what were original Superman that was 1974. 1974- Four seventy-three, early seventies, yeah. weren't it? Because I was just hoping that we're going to get a crossover with Clark Kent and David <laughs> Superman. You wish too hard, so you wish too hard. Super Orbit, Super like You don't even need Super Superman. Superman. Superman was Fabulous. actually seventy. I had to break down that gag far by syllable, far, far, far too much for that to be. Funny at any point, and they just talked right over the gag anyway. So, Superman was 78, so two years after this. There you go. So, you get Damien turning up in Superman if you're going to have that gag work. It doesn't matter, it's fine. I don't know why, why I bother you? some days. Why do you bother, Chris? Why? Um, I have a question, not a question, but an observation I have about these kind of films where. This is just like start or a fright fest question. I haven't got a question, but it's more of an observation. <laughs> yeah, don't don't be really dull as well. Don't go. Uh, excuse me. Uh, what what gave you the idea? No, but as a member of the clergy, um, no, I'm not a member of the clergy. Just for the record. But why is it in these films that when a priest comes in to have a, to say what's happening, they don't come in and go. Mr. Ambassador, we need to sit down and have a conversation. They're coming with, you will die, you will all die, here's the devil. And you're like, what? Like, try approaching it with a little bit more sanity. That's that's because before he joined the seminary, he was actually on a performing arts course. He can't help it, he just goes. <laughs> well, why do they, honestly, why do they do that? Time is of the essence. There is not always time to get your words out. Shock value, shock quick, panic will make you listen to them. 
because I'm sure, uh, like, the priest would, like, stop and listen to someone who just ran into a church when, oh, we're all burning by our sins. They wouldn't, would they? They'd just like, you praise her. We need to sit down and have a conversation. If there is a fire in the street, would you take someone walking up to you calmly and going, please, I need you to move along now? Or would you run with the person who's shouting down, screaming, run? I think a fire in the street is a little bit of a different scenario to your child is the son of the devil. No. That's an irrational thing to say anyway. So let's not approach it with a whole bunch of irrationality. Let's just try and be adults. At the end of the day, you can tell Gregory Peck what you want in this film. It takes him right to the end to believe it. He doesn't want to believe any of it. So it doesn't matter whether you're going screaming at him or trying to be rational, he's not having it. The thing is, as you say, because Damien doesn't actually do any of these things, it's easy to it's easy to go, well, no, it's a series of really unfortunate coincidences. I think if you were taking it at the time like you were with films like The Exorcist, I, I really like this religious aspect to horror, and especially back in the 70s, people going mad for that shit. And because... I don't not not that horror wasn't well known, but I think there were some people in the religious community who genuinely believed, like you got satanic panic in the 80s, that this was going to be a real thing. So films like The Omen and The Exorcist are still panicking people. So I, I think it it does that really well. I think to somebody who's just watching it for entertainment value, it might come across as really subtle, but somebody who genuinely believes in it, it's quite a it's quite a creepy film, I think. Mm. It is, it is quite creepy. I think um, I think this film also benefits from having like a very creepy score. Mm. Um, and there's something about any kind of like religious music, the way it's sung in this, that just freaks you out because yeah. it sounds like they're chanting for the devil anyway, doesn't it? I think they are saying something quite devilish in the words, but it does benefit from having a creepy score. And Damien himself is very creepy i mean you hit the head like as far as assignments go with creepy children like you pretty much hit the nail on the head when yeah. you pick damien as a creepy child can't argue with that one um i think um i love the scene you know like when they're in the safari park yeah and initially like when all the bamboos are going crazy the way damien is just like staring out of the window with that like smile on his face is a bit like this child is Books, man. Like, I don't well, know how we got this way. That's that is the kind of you know, following with the theme of is it Damien or is it someone else completely? Because that could just be seen as Damien having a nice time at the safari park. And I think it's not until you do get to the end and he does break the wall and smile at the camera that you're like, hang on. I think he knew what were happening all along. I think this is, I think it, for me, in that point, you get definite confirmation of what Damien is and what Damien's been doing. But until that point, it can be classed as ambiguous. Yeah, I think, so I got a little bit confused just at one part, which was when the priest dies and um, David Warner, I don't know the character's name, terrible, um, takes um, Gregory Peck to the priest's house and um, he shows him some pictures. And the priest has got the 666 tattooed on him. Right. I don't understand why the priest has 666 on him. Stamped by the devil? But why the priest? Because if Damien, because like that's what they use to say that Damien is a devil. 
So whether, it confused me a little bit. Whether it's the original priest, because he's what he's when he facilitates the swap between us, or he's just a vessel of Satan, and that's why it's marked. So kind of like out in Inside Number Nine in the Harrowing, they have to move from one vessel to another to continue it. Mm. Like Damien is the new vessel. Is that right? Do you reckon? Yeah, it's just about it's saying about the priest being marked, but I, reckon, I think it may be because the fact that obviously someone has. Let's face it, the David doesn't get about out of the ground and just crawl to the uh no. crawl to them to be replaced. It had to be someone who there who had to know what's gone on and actually said, Look, oh yeah, look, we've killed and killed his son and replaced him with Damien. So I wonder whether he's just also marked by Satan as a minion of his. Yeah, because at this point as well, obviously you find out that their child didn't actually just die of natural causes or during childbirth. Um, the child was killed so that Damien could be put in its place. Now, you know me. I'm yeah. all about positivity. <laughs> uh, and, and loving everything as it is. I did find myself in this film losing interest when we moved away from Damien and more to like uh, Gregory Peck and David going on their kind of mission. Mm-hmm. to find out what, who Damien really was and what to do. It is I very much, it, sorry, I was going to say, it's very much a film of two halves. Yeah, it really, I really did, like, the, that was the point when I, like, you know, I hate doing time checks, but that was happening. I was just like, have I got long left for this? Because, you know, I'm quite tired now. But I, it, it just felt, again, it felt a little bit kind of, not out of place, but extended no I, th- I think what chris is saying is right it, it's very much uh, it's setting the idea in the first half and then the second half is exploring that more and i think because you are away from damon and you you know you are away from damon damien <laughs> i said damien he said bamboon earlier i didn't say anything did i say so, bamboon bamboon <laughs> so, what did i mean ba- you, you meant baboon um yeah so i, I think because it it, it, it does take a different turn in the film. I mean, to me, I, I still enjoy that. I like all the mythology behind it and finding out what's going on and whatnot. I, I enjoy all that myself, but I can see how um, that might not be everyone's. everyone's taste. Yeah. To be honest, I was more alert with with the film in the first half. Mm-hmm. I found myself struggling a bit when when they go off, which is a shame because there's loads of really good parts in the, There are moments which are brilliant in the second half of the, the film. It's just I'm less engaged with it at that point. But it does bring you back at the end where obviously, you know, um, the the second nanny, I forget her name, sorry. Uh, Mrs. Baylock. Thank you. She just goes batshit and starts trying to kill Gregory Peck and you've got the freaking actual hounds of hell trying to get him. Um, and Damien's going mental, and yeah, it all just goes a bit woof, at the end. So it does bring it back round. It does bring it back round. Um, um, so they changed the ending because initially Gregory Peck was supposed to kill Damien, but apparently um, it was deemed by the production company that that was too shocking mm. um, for an audience. Uh, so the fact that, you know, Damien is a devil child that's going to corrupt and take over the world isn't shocking. But... Uh, Can't kill a kid. You know, but killing a kid is too shocking. Um, I don't know what I would have preferred 
Like, I like the idea that Damien continues, but then I also like that shock factor of, like, the entire family being wiped out. But... Well, I, I haven't seen any of the sequels. Um, I know that Sam Neill is in the third, and it's really weird because the sequels take place... Uh, Mercer is currently showing off his box set of The Omen. Um, the, the timelines between one, two, and three are quite close together in terms of release, but I meant because I think it's like 76, 78, and then 80 something. But obviously, it goes all the way to Damien being an adult. But they've just ramped it up. <laughs> they've ramped up how old they get. It's so, an adult in the second film. No, no, it's it look teenager age. It goes up pretty quick. Their ages go up really quick for how they're released. Um, so, but I, again, I've not seen any of them, so I don't know how good they are. I don't know if it was worth keeping Damien at the end to have those sequels. Have you seen them? I haven't, uh, actually. I think I've seen a bit. Of, I, I remember watching the Sam Neill one. I don't remember anything about it other than being, it's a bit weird, because Sam Neill is Damien, right? Mm-hmm. As a senator or something. It seems to be, yeah. Yeah. Seems to be. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I can't. I can't remember. I've got the. I, I, I'm gonna slay, slay, not slay. I am gonna watch the box set, and um, and yeah, see, see. And I'm really curious to rewatch the remake as well because I quite enjoyed the remake. It Lee Schreiber as well. Yeah. Yeah. I quite enjoyed the remake. I mean, we are digressing from the actual film. We are. Let Let me Let me wrap up by saying I I think in terms of creepy kids, like you said earlier. I have hit the nail on the head in terms of criteria for a creepy kid. I think that The Omen is a classic. It ages really well for the time it was. And um, I think you should be choosing The Omen as your favorite creepy kid film. Right, so then let's move on to my pick for Creepy Child, uh, which I hope fits the brief, even though it's only for the last 20 minutes, but you know, it gets there eventually. So I've gone for 1989's Stephen King inspired Pet Cemetery. Yes, that is right, Pet Cemetery. Uh, from the director Mary Lambert. So, you know, just throwing that in there for all you all you people who know directors are. Uh-huh. Uh, so Pet Cemetery is the story of the um, Creed family. Um, who move out to a little house on a main road in pretty much the middle of nowhere for his new job. Um, when they're there, there's him, his wife, his daughter and his son and their cat Churchill, or Church, as we lovingly call him. Um, when they're there, they discover this beautiful cemetery for pets, for pretty much animals that are being killed on this main road that's directly in front of their house which just has a constant um, slew, if that's the right word, of big trucks that have got a name, but I don't know what they're called. Articulated um, lorries, you mean? Articulated lorries, yeah, big trucks, uh, constantly <laughs> up and down that road. Um, they also meet their lovely neighbour, um, Judd, who lives directly across the road, and Judd introduces Lewis, Lewis Creed, the father to a place beyond the pet cemetery um, that's needed after the death of church. 
Um, so basically, this is a place where you can bury your loved ones and they will come back alive. Faye is laughing because either I'm giving a terrible explanation or no. the storyline is ridiculous. I've, I like Pet Cemetery. It's so ridiculous. This, oh, I'll, I'll get into my points. You talk a bit more, I'll get into it later. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm literally just going to talk about um, just the film, obviously, because that's what we <laughs> Oh, the fact that, oh, you just talk, I'll get into it later. As if, no, no, we're here now. This, this is a bit where we talk about well, the film. Well, I don't want to jump ahead in certain in certain plot points, but there are some that need to be addressed as we go along, I feel. Um, I mean, first of all, let's talk about the fact that these lorries only come from one company, which was literally so that the production company only had to use one truck going up and down and no one would question why they'd only got this one truck. Because they're all from the same company, apparently. The, to be fair, in a lot of small town America, mm. a lot of American small towns, huge chunks of towns are employed by big industrial companies where they set up. So you might have a town where 90% of the people are employed by one industrial company. So it's not that much of a shock to have the same truck barreling down. Fair enough. If you're moving into this house as well, do you not think it's a good idea to get a gate or something to stop you running into this? If so many animals have died. Okay, so that was one of the points that I raised myself, which was like, just build a fucking fence. But that's not going to stop your cats from getting out because cats are not prevented by a fence. Cats climb trees, they jump things, you know. That's not going to save a cat, is it? No, you're absolutely right. It's not going to save an animal. It will save a child. And oh. if you if you are if you are concerned about your young son running off, then maybe building a fence is the way to go. But the child didn't die from running from their the front of their house. He died from running from a picnic they were having a bit further down. So you know. Plus, I'm not sure how much the family care. The mum doesn't even bother learning the son's name. She shouts the baby. The baby, the baby. The baby. 90% of the film. Okay. So, (laughs) not even five minutes in, and you two have decided to rip my film to pieces. No, no, no. Hang on, hang on, let me finish. I am not shocked. I won an episode. You two can't fucking handle that. So you turn against me like a pack of rabid dogs, like the devil bloodhounds from the omen, to rip me and my choices to pieces. Well, let me tell you something. This film is good. It's exciting. It's entertaining. It's adequately acted. Uh, <laughs> It is, you know what? I'll, I'll just before we go further, I'll just say I know Faye likes Pet Cemetery, and I I also enjoy, but I also think it's a perfectly good good film. You brought the fun this time, I think. You brought the fun, whether that was intended or not is a different matter. But you brought the fun. Chris is reeling that you jumped in on his territory. There's nothing fun about this film. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> devastated throughout no to be fair it is it 
it does have the Chiefs backed up. It's obvious they're a ridiculous storyline. There are things in the film, like, you know, I hold up my hands. I the, the, the mission statement with this film was Creepy Kid. When I think of a creepy kid in a film, my, my first thought has always been Gabe in uh, Gage, sorry, Gabe, Freudian slip. Gage, Freudian in, Gage in um, Pet Cemetery. Because to be fair, Michael Hughes, when he does come back, is a fucking creepy little shit. And, you know, the fact that, you know, he's a three-year-old child doing, like, giving that kind of performance to me, it, it, it astounds me. Did you also know, I'm just going to throw this in, I'm talking now, I am talking. So, do you know the girl who plays his sister? Mm -hmm. Twins, only one of them's credited. Oh. Um, yeah, twins. Um, only one's credited, though. Um, the other one gets credited, I think, in a later release. Um, but, like, the, the, main, the main one is credited as um, Blaze. Uh, Birdall. But they did actually initially say we want twins to play the character of um, Gage as well. But Does Mary he have Lambert a twin? Point, no. So Mary, so Mary Lambert point blank refused and said, no, no, no. This kid, this kid that we're employing in this film is a fucking superstar who's going to go on and be in one of the best Nightmare on Elm Street films as well. So go ahead. So, little fun fact for you. I'm hoping it's a fact. It came from TikTok, so I don't know, like, whether it's genuine. Let me finish. No, I've not been fact-checked at all. I don't know whether it's genuine or not, but he seems to say that it is on TikTok. But the actor who plays Gage um, obviously went on to star in New Nightmare, and apparently he still has the climbing frame from New Nightmare in his back garden. You know, the rocket? That's apparently in his back garden still. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Let's let Michael Hughes, when you listen to this, let us know. I'll tag you in everything. If that's true. Apparently from yeah. TikTok, he is also half goldfish as well. So <laughs> there you go. But anyway, this film, I think this film does, this film throws a lot at you. So uh -huh. we've got like reanimation, we've got um, like child abuse, because obviously they really don't look after that child at all. <laughs> Um, they don't like they turn like you know like you said they're in the middle of a field on a road with articulated trucks and he turns his bike on his child and lets him run away like you know it's terrible we've got this family breakdown with like him and his parents we've got um zombies the reanimated stuff uh, we've got ghosts like, it throws a lot at you. You can definitely tell Stephen King when... It's a Amazon. Steel Sticks scenario, yeah. I think. Yeah. There's, but, there's lots of love there. There's a lot. We've got splash. We've got gore everywhere as well. A lot of gore going. A lot of uh, gornography going. Early gornography. Like 70s porno. Like, this is like the Linda Lovelace of gorno. I don't know. Uh, right, okay. Let, let me just quickly get some points out while I've got them in my head. Number one. Jed, is it Jed? Jud? Yeah, Jud. Jud. Jud, the guy across the road. His caricature is something else in terms of like the hillbilly old man kind of dirt is better. Like he says, Daddy's better about three times in one sentence, which I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not hating on it. That's fine. The dad character is awful. He's an awful actor. I cannot stand him. I, I just. 
I hate the man. And thirdly, I don't, I didn't, I didn't say I want two, three, but thirdly, I'm not entirely sure what the relevance is to the mother having the relationship with Zelda, other than bringing a bit of weirdness to the story. What, what is, what is the point of her backstory to this whole thing? Are you actually genuinely asking that question? Yeah. And you want me to answer it? Yeah. Well, I can't because <laughs> I have literally no idea what the relevance is in the story of Zelda at all. Oh, other than to weird. maybe think that, you know, there's uh, some kind of guilt that she experienced as a child that she's carrying forward as an adult. I can't. Is, I don't get it. I can't remember if because I say because I've read the novel. I can't remember if that. So if it was that important, it clearly hasn't stuck with me after reading it. Yeah, and the thing is as well with Judd, if he he knows the consequences of this Indian, because again, this is an Indian burial ground. He knows the consequences of reanimating something in this Indian burial ground, yet risks it all for a cat. It's like, oh, I don't think she were ready to hear just yet that a cat, it's a cat. I, when I was younger, I had a cat called Thomas. We had a knock at the door and I answered it. And this guy stood there with Thomas dead in his hands and went, is this your cat? And it didn't traumatize me. I'm, I'm pretty fucked up, but it wasn't because of that. Well, on the flip there, when my cat Oscar died, I laid in bed with his dead body for two days, crying. Yeah. And you had to come and help, like sort my heart, my heart. So, you know, yeah. we can be traumatised by the death of a cat. Uh, <laughs> and you I, just don't, I just so don't think hard. it's worth bringing them back to life. For them to eventually want to kill you, you're not getting a good end of the deal here. Yeah. I am going to agree with you on that front. I think if the dad would have worked out what the ghost was telling him and gone and buried the cat, that would have made more sense. <laughs> but actually having Judd make him do it knowing the consequences is is a bizarre choice it's, it's when you have to say the dad saves someone and now the ghost of him is following around while he carries his dead son to an indian burial ground to reanimate him this is sounding nuts you, you can't know you can't stop picking apart a horror you, look, film look, for, look, a no, for a no, ridiculous no, no. plot most horror films will follow a theme one theme this Again, it's just throw it at a wall and see what sticks. I like Pet Cemetery. I truly do. I think it's bonkers. It's just when you say it back to yourself, you're like, that is fucking bonkers. Two things, though, to be fair. If we think about the animal episode, what did I pick? Sleepwalkers, another bonkers Stephen King adaptation. Oh, I think Elton. maybe that's a trend going on. I want to talk about some other characters because um, do you know the character of Missy, the housemaid? Mm. Was she not literally just um, the... Do you know the um, Mrs Dudley in The Haunting? Oh, the yeah. Night, in the dark. Like, she was <laughs> literally <the> just a <laughs> caricature <laughs> of Mrs Dudley. So I think we don't go outside after dark. After dark. <laughs> don't go outside because yeah. it's dark in the park with the larks. Right. But no, he's literally just a lift up of that. And again, I've yeah. got something I love because it's clearly an inspiration and it's another 
just talking back to another one of my past films that I've picked to remind everybody that, you know, sometimes I do pick good films. Um, and Pet Cemetery is one of them. I think when, and I genuinely think this, when when Michael Hughes comes back, um, the the way that like he portrays Gage is fantastic. Obviously, we can see quite a lot that there is a use of uh, what looks like an early um, chucker doll being used. Mm, I don't think it is. I think it's reverse filming because there's a scene where Gage is supposed to fall and like knock his head on the wall as he falls, but it kind of looks a bit slumpy as if it's been done backwards. Yeah, no, but there are definitely, there is definitely a doll that's used. Like for oh. the fight scenes, they use a doll. For the setting him on fire scene, it's a doll. Do you think it's a I'm not having that. <laughs> so the scene where he's in the attic and he jumps down from the attic. Right, like, yeah. The baby that comes forward is clearly like a prototype for um, a good guy doll with the looks yeah. of it. Um, I do like the way they intersperse it. So they do try and do quite a few close-ups of Michael Hughes with his, like, growly face. Oh, he has a proper growly face, doesn't he? Oh, and let's be fair, that, there's a scene in this film which I know everybody winces at because it's nothing that nobody wants. It's a scene that's been replicated in things like Hostel, and it's the scene where he slices Judd's Achilles, Achilles tendon. Oh, I can't stand them. No, that it's is honestly that's horrendous. One of the, it's the worst thing you can see in a horror film for me. It goes I, through me. I hate it. It's one of those ones that you can you can genuinely imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's an incredible moment. And again, I think it's, a, a, you know, it is the 80s, but the fact that we've got a child committing these crimes is kind of like, you know, I think it, pushes a little bit like people's kind of perceptions on what's right and what's wrong like you know like think about like the omen for example in 76 they didn't want to see Damien die because it was too shocking but then like 10 years later or whatever they're like we're perfectly happy to have a young child get run over be reanimated then come back and murder um his neighbour, and then brutally murder his mother off screen, which I actually think works for this. Can I ask a question that you might know, or you might know, Chris, having read the book, um, but when you are at the mother's house, you see the picture of someone dressed up in the background with like a top hat and like a blue or red velvet dress and it's got a collar on it. And that's the outfit that Gage is buried in. And I didn't know what the connection was between the picture and his costume. Again, I don't remember it being a major. A I, I'm major assuming thing it means his... something if you've got it on a if you've got that on a picture and then he's buried in that exact same costume. Surely that should mean something. No idea. Maybe, maybe it's just a tradition within the I, w- I wondered if that was where the time was with the sister or something. Do you know to so maybe I don't know. It's it's almost like a take on Zelda's dress, to be fair, because she does wear like that blue dress with that white frill around. So maybe maybe there is some kind of link to Zelda. Mm. Maybe we just missed it, or maybe it wasn't very clear. Maybe. Or maybe somebody in the editing suite, when we need to read five minutes of this film, let's get rid of this crucial part that explains why we're going back to the past. We've seen this shit happen before. 
But yeah, but yeah, I think when he kills his mum, I think an off-screen kill, I don't normally like off-screen kills, but there was something about this one with the mother screaming um, and we just know what's happening that I actually found a little bit disturbing. And again, mm. it's the idea of like uh, the child killing the parent, especially when it's like a loving parent. I know we joked about them being a bit douche because they didn't really watch him, but they're not horrible parents. They look after no. the kids. Oh, do you know what didn't make sense? Just throwing it in. The daughter's weird psychic ability that wasn't really fully explored. Again, it's just so many elements in there. Stephen King loves a a psychic ability. Well, he does, yeah. Uh, But that didn't make sense to me because there was a lot of, she's dreamt about the cat dying, she's dreamt about something, she dreamt about you taking, digging Gage up and burying him so he's going to come back evil. She's dreamt about a mum being dead. Like, them things didn't make sense. What also doesn't make sense, but I do love it, is the fact that after the mother dies, he goes... Do you know what? I fucked up because I left Gage too long, but she's freshly dead. I'm going to bury her. When she comes back as well with a missing eye and gunk pouring out of her mouth and he snogs her, I'm like, there's something wrong with you, mate. What shouldn't make sense to you is the logistics of how he gets to that burial ground. Because the first time he goes there, he's like, whoa, all over the rocks. It's all edging. He has to climb up rocks to get there. He manages to do that the second time with a child in his arms. And the third time with another adult in his arms. He would have died. He would have fallen to his death. Just flung her over. Just stood at the bottom. Like like people when they throw the hammer. Just grab all of her feet. Spin around to get enough... (laughs) Momentum and just sling it clean over the fence. Yeah. yeah. I think that's probably what he did. Again, I don't like I don't like the ending of the ending in the book as much as I hate to go, oh the ending in the book is better. The ending in the book is better for this. Because essentially he buries her and then he's sitting at the kitchen table and she comes in and puts her hands on his shoulder and her voice is her mouth is still full of dirt when she speaks to him and it just ends. That would be pretty okay. cool rather than that stuff spewing out of her mouth. I kind of like the fact that she killed him. I did like the fact that she killed him because it's, you know, it's just one of them things. Basically, you two obviously have done a good job of uh, (laughs) sabotaging me this week, but I've also done a good job of myself. I do think the film is flawed, I'm not going to lie. My position on this week's episode was, this is my creepy child. I think... I think as far as creepy children go, I do think Michael Hughes as Gage does have, have an edge purely based on the way he acts and the, the things that he does. Um, I do enjoy Pet Cemetery. I do think it's a fun film. I do think, you know, it's got far too many subplot points that aren't fully explored. And probably this would have done well better, better as like a The Stand or It, like, you know, a TV series or a, like a TV film that was split over two parts where we did get to explore everything. But I enjoy it. I love it. I like the adequate performances from the rest of the cast. I agree with you. The father is appalling. I think he's terrible. But at some point, I think that works. Like, I think his lack of emotion that he has to art actually works well towards the end of the film where, you know, he's lost his cat, he's lost his kid and he's lost his wife and he's just a bit dejected. I think it works then. 
Um, but you know, it's a bit too little, too late. He's a bit dejected. He's, he's lost everything. He's feeling a little bit down. He's still got a daughter. He's got psychic abilities. You know what I mean? He could have like, like um, he's, literally, he's literally on the floor rocking like someone out of one floor of the cuckoo's nest. Just before you very finish your summing up, though, Mercer, we should just give a mention to the Ramones and their absolutely blistering closing track. I don't want to go buried. How, how's, how's it going, Chris? I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. Tune. I'm just going to make an honest um, statement here. So there's a multiple statements coming out here that is just going to shame me completely. So first of all, someone played me the Ramones Pet Cemetery. I'm like, oh, I didn't really, like, I, I don't think it's linked to the film. And they were like, why? And I'm like, well, because the film came out in the 80s and the Ramones are quite modern. Yeah, did not realise. <laughs> did not realise the Ramones aren't from like the no. year 2000. <laughs> no, they are um, not. Did not realise that. Are, are you thinking of Razorlight? <laughs> I have what, no idea. Uh, I didn't realise that someone was linked to the film. What I do find interesting though is um, in the music video, they don't actually use anything from the film at all. Fair enough. I'd have had little Michael Hughes running around like a fucking loon, me. But no, they didn't. But yes. You don't know what's available at the time, and to be fair, the Ramones do sound like they came out around 2003, like the Strokes. Yeah. Or they do, yeah. Obviously, this modern music is a throwback, and I don't know this older stuff, and I was so embarrassed when I found out that, you know, they're not a modern pop. They're not even pop. They're just not a modern band. Um, It threw me. But yes, I just finally think, I think Pet Cemetery is fun. I think, you know, I agree... I'm, I'm going to echo what Faye said and what I said about Damien. I think Gage, as a, a psycho, scary child, does kind of fit the bill perfectly. And I think for the brief and for the fun, crazy factor of the film, people should vote for it. Okay, so now it is my pick the best creepy kid horror. I have gone much more recent than you and Mercer. I've gone back to 2007 and the J.A. Bayona directed Guillermo del Toro executive produced The Orphanage. I will just wait right here. Oh, that was a sign, not an applause from me. Not for the film, just because you're waiting for applause. The crowd cheers. I don't even think they can hear that on the recording. Well, it it's, sounds it's, like you've been a weirdo. It's distant. We all, it's got 80,000 in here. There's not that sounds not very good. Anyway, the orphanage. A quick run through synopsis of the plot. So we have Bella Mreda, or I'm going to massacre mostly surname. Mm -hmm. Names in this film, I'm very sorry if they haven't been listening. Playing Laura. She grows up in an orphanage, and when she is older, she then comes back to take over and care for a new lot of sick children in her care, along with her husband, Carlos, and son, Simon. However, during the party to welcome all the new arrivals, Simon goes missing awfully. 
and we then get locked into a tale of her grief and her struggle to be reunited with her son as we meet various odd, creepy little kids, including the Dano Poppermatic mentioned earlier, Bag on His Head, Tomas. Oh, I thought you were just going to call him Baghead. I'm not going to, I'm not going to call him Bag, Baghead. I have the right names for the cast. I might forget them. I might call them by other names entirely. But uh, there is poisonly... like, like Baghead and Child who isn't Baghead. <laughs> exactly. But at various points, I will, I will at least try to attempt to refer to the right people. This isn't. This doesn't have the, the innate creepiness of the kids in the Omen because it's not the Child of Satan, and it's not reanimated from the dead. Gay. Gay, gay, gauge, gauge, gauge. I keep wanting to call him cage, gauge. Sorry, gauge from Pet Cemetery. Rage gauge, rage gauge. What we have here is in the very best. I don't want to mention Del Toro too much, but it's impossible to look this film and not see his fingerprints all over it. We have this massive, gorgeous, gothic fairy tale slow burn haunting rather than the the higher impact most set pieces and moments of the other two films and for anyone who is a fan of the likes of Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth among others Kronos then you'll find a lot of the love in that big gothic fairy tale kind of style and be fair one of the things although it's fairy tale-esque Jay Boner knows how to do scale. While it's while it feels like a cloak, a very family kind of orientated, encapsulated thing, mm. with the scale of the mansion and the cliffs and the lighthouse, Bona knows how to do scale. He does he did Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Oh. So as a director is comfortable with having a doing stuff on a big, big large and life kind of scale. As I say the house looks while it's a small family drama around the kid going missing everything is massive the house is massive the sea is massive those caves are gorgeous i, I did say that fallen kingdom felt like a horror film when i first watched it he has root it was the horror of the it was the horror film of the jurassic park franchise it, yeah indeed and as i say he has those you can clearly see why he has those roots in it i know you have issues with being a bit of a slow Slow it's, burn. It's, not that, it's not that I have issues with it being a slow burn. I think it was just, it was a lot. Because, I mean, full disclosure, I hadn't watched this film the whole way through until I watched it for this. I'd only got part way through, and I think we tried to watch it a few times and I'd fallen asleep. Yeah. Um, just because it is so slow. And, you know, if you're tired, I'm, I'm elderly now. I'm 41 this year. I do fall asleep in films. It happens, unfortunately. <sighs> but it, it's not to say that I didn't enjoy it. It was, it was just really. It has got it has got a very hypnotic kind of quality yeah, to it. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd yeah, say it's yeah. and considering they spend a lot, there's various moments telling fairy fairy tales and bedtime stories. It's very easy to get lulled in and relax and find self dozing off. I say it's just with this, Laura. It's the thing that it's your. From the start, and it's way this through. Although, obviously, it's a ghost of the ghost of the crooks of how we get there. It's a story of her love 
for Simon, and that's what runs through the entire thing. I mean, they could so easily start with an orphanage and have it be this horrendous, shitty place that every horror film other than this would have them set out to be at the start, Mm. but not for her. She remembers it as this place, and we see at the start where they're playing, this place where she has all those friends. And to be honest, when they find out, when they said about her being adopted, it seemed more whether she'd struggle with being taken out of this place with all her family, or what her extended family at this point, and whether she struggled being in a normal home rather than surrounded by those she loves. I do love the fact that she's opening up the orphanage herself to welcome these children in. And the way to welcome these children is to give them terrifying party masks. <laughs> like, absolutely terrifying masks. Why Why were people wearing masks? I, 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 think, I think and also why was the old man just walking around with that gun just shooting it at nobody I think out? I can't explain that one I expect, I think the mask are a throwback to remembering Thomas and obviously he has the the bag over his head because as we find out later he is actually deformed. It also could be that you can be quite shy when you're going into a house full of new people so maybe it's like a almost comfort thing so that you can mix with each other and bond with each other without having to you know yeah I suppose actually yeah you can you can hide behind something if you're looking for meaning yeah yeah we probably should do (laughs) yeah there's some some ghost kids and then it ends no but I, I do always worry that I'm I look too much into things like more than needs to be there and I didn't know if I were doing that on this occasion, but if you don't think I am, then that's fantastic. No, I think that's I think that's a perfectly valid, Aye. valid point. I, like you said, I mean, yeah, cinematography in this film is amazing, but it always is with a Del Toro film. I think he, you know, I, the way he directs it and such, I just think is amazing. It looks incredible, and I'd love to live by that. Producers scene. in this case. Oh, just produce. Oh, well, there right. you go. Well, still. They own a director. Still, he's, he's not going to produce something that he doesn't feel has got. No, it does, it does look very Delta. I say yeah. it does look very Delta. Yeah. Mercy, you've been awfully quiet. I'm just letting you get out what you need to get out. Okay. Before you start slamming my film. <laughs> Before I get in there. No. I will, um, I'll be honest. So, this was a first watch of The Orphanage for me. I am a massive fan of Spanish horror. I also love Del Toro. Um, I think visually, this film is impeccable. I think the use of the score and the use of sound, the sound design in the film is genius. I think it it manages to create tension even when the, there's no real tension there, but like that under, like, under kind of tones of like the sounds like and um I think there's like when it reverts back to like like roundabout outside and the squeakiness of the roundabout mm. and things like that. The sound design ridiculous, the score ridiculous, the acting on point, fucking love the acting. Um I found everybody fantastic. But but I I was quite on board with the film. I was, I was enjoying it. I didn't mind the slow burn. I, like I said, I liked the performances. It didn't really engage me that much. I wasn't, like, super excited, but I weren't, like, ready to turn it off, if that makes sense. I was quite, yeah, I was waiting for the build-up. And then I kind of got a little bit, like, I felt 
like the medium scene when the medium comes in mm. it just like in context to the feel of the rest of the film I just felt like this feels a little bit out of place and it oh, threw me it, see, it, see, it, it does feel like they're they've they've written it the screenplay and gone oh this horror film doesn't have as many horror elements as we'd like I mean I think the scene works I think it. I think it's great the scene itself, but I can understand why it feels like it's lifted out of another film and put yes. put in it. Do not get me wrong. I'm not saying that the scene is horrible at all. I'm just saying that as as I was on this journey, it felt like almost like I'd gone into the wrong room at a party. Um, yeah, and I was I watching some kind of swingers show when really I should be watching like a family drama. And I was like, oh, thrown there, and then and then they go. And then, and then after that, everything just felt a little off kilter mm. until we get the, which I think is probably the probably the best use of flashbacks that I've seen in a film because it actually highlights what we need to know. Yeah, and yeah. things that we missed. Just um, rather than like the dead two where we get a flashback yeah. 30 seconds after we've just seen what's just, happened just before we get yeah. there i say just because i say the whole reason we get to find that is i say along with this ghost story is there's the story of what's actually happened is doesn't feel like it's just crammed in there and wedged in the just effect to get ghosts in there the fact that we have thomas being Essentially, essentially bullied yeah. and having his mask pulled off and left in the cave, the oh. the drowned, and then his mother poisoning the remaining children. When they say, oh, I don't think the kids should be blamed for it, I go, I think they fucking should. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they should. Can I ask you something? Does, yeah. that, does that story not sound familiar to anybody? A young, deformed child um, who has a trick played on him, he drowns, and then his mother kills the people who caused this to happen. It does, yes. And I was going to say when you commented on having a medium in there that that is something that is largely done in horror films anyway, like in Poltergeist yeah. and later on in The Conjuring and stuff like that. And people do. I mean, him him drowning and the way she kills are slightly different. They're not being they're not being stooped and bumped off. You never know. You never know what's a what's a um, tribute these days, dear. No. It could absolutely be. But as you say, I say the whole reason we get to find out what happened then is the idea of the kids playing and the treasure because essentially what she wants, the treasure she's looking for, is to find him. Mm. And what they're, they're looking for as their treasure is for essentially her to recover their body so they can be laid, they can be laid to rest. So they get, from playing that game, they, they win by getting getting essentially found and put the rest properly and she gets what she wants which was to get well it's a no she doesn't get exactly what she wants but it's to find find Simone and as you say we come on the I, I've I've seen this seen this movie like and I found myself gasping again weirdly enough it's been a while since I watched it just how good the flashback and the reveal is as to what's actually happened yeah it's fantastic. For anyone who doesn't know, be fair, we sport everything else at this point. We find that Simon has found where Thomas 
was actually staying while at the orphanage. He had a pretty much a sub-basement room. And during the actual party, when Laura's massively rushed and busy, and Simone's being a little dick, to be fair, he, he says, look, I want to show you this room. They have an argument. He goes into the room, and as she's searching around for him, a load of steel, essentially, I wouldn't say good, a load of steel supports fall out of the cupboard, and she places them back in, trapping young Simon in his tomb in Tomas's room. Mm. And the bit where she goes down and she and she finds finds him, because you look at that and you find him, you go, oh, this is if he, if he's alive now, because the fact he has HIV and needs daily medication, if he is alive now, this is just ridiculous. But no, because they pull that bait and switch when she has him in the blanket. Yeah. Oh, it's really tough, that It is. But when, when when she lifted that cover up and you were there, I, I, that's, I literally went, are you fucking serious? That makes no... It's been, like, over nine months now. That kid is dead. Um, and I was so angry. And then, like you said, they did that little scene and I was like, oh, OK, they've played me. They played me and they played me good, and I'm glad that they did. It was um, just so sad the way the, the blanket just like yeah. droops. Oh. Yes, Mercer. Because I'm a bitch, um, I also want to hark back to a scene that I I actually think it might have been a uh, a homage to another film, maybe another film that I once discussed, which is The Haunted again. So the bedroom scene where she's laid in bed talking to Carlos and then oh. the bathroom light comes yeah. on and she's like, Carlos, somebody's in the bathroom. And then he walks out of the room. Very reminiscent of the scene in The Haunting where Nell's holding Theo's hand mm. and then Theo isn't laid next to her. No, I suppose, um, I suppose there's nothing wrong though, Zamarge, just the films you love and especially... A classic ghost story like The Haunting, I'd imagine. And I think a lot of times with horror films, you, you do tend to see a repeat of themes Ooh. and ideas and such, because if they work and they scare an audience, why would you not put it in there? No, you do. This instance, I am like, I, I do feel like it was a homage to, to that. I might yeah. be completely wrong, but I do feel like it was, because, you know, it is a classic haunting story. Yeah, uh, and this is this is trying not trying to be. This is a classic case of a haunted house rather than um, like a remake of the haunting or House on Haunted Hill or whatever. Where it's like uh, uh. there are some there's some brutal moments in here as well. When Tomas originally when he shoves Laura, yeah, when she's in the bathroom and crash and smashes her hand in the door, you're saying about a tendon being cut. A, a, a snapped off, ripped off nail, having to pull that off your hand is also one of them kind of, ooh, yeah. moment. And also the murderer of the children, whose name has completely gone out of my head for a second, when she shouts her in the street and she, get hit, she gets hit by a bus, that comes out of absolutely nowhere. That's a, that's a homage to Final Destination. <laughs> Beninha. Um, is uh, is that character's name? Yeah. I think that that shot of her when um, she re grabs Laura and like, pulls the blanket on her face is all like, um, like the ring, uh, <laughs> just 
<laughs> just compared to every film ring. we possibly can. <laughs> as he just as he just cut the it's just cut together 120 different films. Yeah. Uh, I will but, say though, I've got to be honest with you, Chris. I fucking hate the ending of this film. I hate it so much. You don't. Uh, I can't. I can't deal with it. You get. You don't like that bittersweet ending where. Obviously, as I say, people who haven't seen it, she's overcome with grief over the fact that Simon is dead and stuffs herself full of his medication to OD and then finds herself essentially in the spirit realm looking after and growing up with all the kids that have stayed young forever, a la Peter Pan, which they, which they reference repeatedly throughout the film. Do you know, I think there's something, there's something really beautiful about that kind of her, no, I've seen Mercer shaking his head. You're just dead inside Mercer. That's what I it is. I don't want that beauty. Maybe, maybe that's my problem. I didn't, I didn't want that beauty. I wanted. I don't know. I just it, that just don't work for me. But we've done it. We did. I can't remember what film it was. It was another film where we had like a similar kind of ghostly reveal, and I'm just like, I don't like it. That's I don't want that. Um, like you, you're probably right, Chris. I am probably dead inside. Um. But, but yeah, the ending, take away the ending and that medium scene within the context of the film. Yeah, the film is beautiful. Like, I'm not, I can't argue that fact at all. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you that as a win. <laughs> it, is, it is beautiful. I think it's, I think it's a lovely fitting ending myself. I think so, I think it is. Sorry, Mercer, I do. Hey, bloody heartfelt bastards. <laughs> Mate, I'm the worst for it. I cannot watch like videos on Facebook without crying every the, other video. When the blind kid she grew up with, when she fills her face, she's like, oh, I can still tell it's her. She's like, oh, it's Laura. Oh. No. No. No, thank you, Dead inside. Dead. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah, so that was the orphanage. So for those who love Spanish horror, who love absolutely beautiful works of art, cinematography, and an absolutely gorgeous, heart-rending, haunting storyline underpinned by brilliant performances all around, then please vote for The Orphanage. And that's it. That's the three films done. Um, nicely discussed. Nicely... Um, Nicely destroyed in the case of Pet Cemetery by the two people who I thought were my friends, but are in fact um, definitely my sworn enemies. Um, but now it's over to the public, I guess. You know, we obviously will we'll get us vote up like we normally do once the episode's been out. You've all had a chance to give us a little listen. And um, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. But obviously, before we finish, we need to do the exciting stuff of how you can get in touch with us, Chris. Need to do the housekeeping. Carrier pigeon. Carrier pigeon, yeah. Carrier, carrier pigeon works fine. Or if you want more antiquated ways of getting in contact with us, you can reach us on Facebook at Iceberg Grays or we're at Spit Grays on both Twitter and Instagram. If you want to email us, you can do so at electricpossums at gmail.com. And please don't forget the rate review 
and subscribe. And if you know anyone who may be interested in listening to us or someone you just don't like, then just tell them about our show and we'll get them to listen. Stop telling them to pe- people they don't like to listen to that implies that we're shit. If you like our show, rate, <laughs> rate review, and subscribe. If you don't like it, tell an enemy to listen. <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, that is it. And we'll be back, I guess, with the results show at some point. Busy, busy times for everyone. Sorry that we haven't been putting out on an exact schedule, but, you know, Jubilee and all that. Mm. We are busy, busy bees. Yep, Jubilee. Summer has did turn 41. You know, the, the millennium. Millennium. millennium yeah. 1981, yeah. when I was born. Oh, just Did you, just me. Um, just you. Well, that's it. I think we call it a day. Not like the show, I mean, just this episode. <laughs> we call it a day and we say goodbye to these beautiful, beautiful. I've just drooled on myself. I apologize. They're so, they're so beautiful that you just massively turned on. I'm just, yeah, I'm just masticating. Is that the right word? Yes, masticating. Yes. Just masticating here. Um, so I'm going to say goodbye. Goodbye. Okay. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.